As we look around in our nation today, our whole nation is facing adversity. First time I really faced adversity and found out how it shapes us was in Marine Corps boot camp. I often tell someone, I don't even think I went to the bathroom the first three days. I had a DI in my face and all of us did for the first three days. We had many of them decide they did not want it and they went into the swamps rather than stay in the barracks. And, but it got, it got better. But it was prepared for a special reason because it prepared me for three combat tours in Vietnam. It, it prepared me for the future. Adversity prepares us in a special way, but we're facing a national crisis today. COVID-19 is a part of that. Jobs, some have been out of work. I was talking to my, one of my, my barber's wife. Uh, she hasn't got her unemployment yet. Things are you know, not well for a lot of people. Political chaos, our nation has been torn apart. And I don't, I don't know how to explain some of it. But I think when we look at the examine the scripture today, we'll understand it a little better. And the riots. I'm glad I'm not on the other side. I'm sorry that I, I was trained in riot control many years ago. And it's obvious from what I see in our nation today that there's a lot of training that needs to be done. I always say, if you, watch, if you ever watch the Japanese handle a riot, you'll know how it should be done. That's the method I was trained in. But if you lived in a bubble all your life, you know, it's going to be frightening for the next year. If you buried your head in the sand of denial, you're going to have an awakening the next year. But today I'm going to again go to the scripture and I think I'm going to reveal to you the secret of the cure for our nation. And that's the word of God. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn. I didn't prepare a list for Mark. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit at your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. What is God saying here? He's saying, hear. Now, you say it different when you're talking to the children. When I was talking to a group of Marines, I'd say, listen up. I've got something to say, and I want you to listen. I want you to hear it. That's what he's saying to the whole nation. He's saying, hear. It's a national call. Like the word of God, it calls us and God calls us. He calls us to be a, a nation, a nation of, that worships him, but it doesn't happen. Here he also talks about in the, in the Hebrew, it's plural. Plurality of God is one. Now the nation, the Jews, they, they celebrate it by saying, they'll use the word term one Constantly in their services. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. They repeated it. Well, one thing they need also, and we need to understand, they had a lot of people around them that worshiped many gods. And there is only one God. Well, we understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what other gods do we have today? Do we worship other things? 
Is there other things more important than God? We need to recognize our relationship with God. I did a real scientific research while I was preparing this sermon. I handed Bobby a sheet of paper and I said, I want five adjectives to describe relationships. I didn't want to think what it was. But how is, what is our relationship to God? Is it distant? Is it a caring relationship? Is it a bonding relationship? Just think of the relationships you have with people. But do you have a relationship with God? Is it good? Is it serious? Is it a close relationship? And how would you define close? But finally, is it a loving relationship? What adjective do you pick? To have a relationship takes what? Work. It takes work. It takes communication. Some of you have a best friend. Some of you have two or three best friends. But you're in constant communications with them. You know them. You know their thoughts. You know desires. You know the hurts. You know everything about them. But let me ask you, do you take God as seriously? Do you communicate with God that's as seriously as you do with your friends? Do you talk to him? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God? It begins with a command, the national command given in verse 5. And you shall love the Lord your God. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. You know, but the only problem I have with that is, today, the problem is we use love like I would when I say, I love French vanilla ice cream. I love French vanilla coffee. And I love hot pie with it. I knew I'd get an amen out of that. But if I loved it with all my heart, my soul, and my might, there would be evidence. What would that evidence be? And I have to confess, I did have a hard time buttoning my trousers today. I would need a new wardrobe, right? If I loved it with all my heart, it would be my consuming meal. Now, if you visit my home at night, you will find out that I do have a French vanilla cup of coffee and a small dish of French vanilla ice cream. I leave off the pie because it grows on me. She's saying a line, but I've actually had to knock some of it off because guess what? I would need a new wardrobe. She said when. <laughs> when, huh? Boy, isn't it difficult when you have your wife sitting on the front pew, mouthing off. But is there evidence in your life that you love God? First John 4.20 it's a verse that probably most of you would not want to read at times over and over and over because it would convict you. First John says, how can you say or you say, I love God and he hates his brother? And what does scripture say? If you say I love God and you hate your brother, you are a Liar. And I am sorry to say there's evidence that our churches are full of liars. They say they love God, but they hate their brother. What was the great commandment first? 
to love God. And the second one, given to, to love your brother, your neighbor, all translated in different ways, as yourself. In other words, the scripture is basically saying, if you don't love God, your love goes out the store. You are lying when you say you hate your brother because you can't love God truly with all your might, all your soul and everything in you and hate your brother. There's another command in this. To teach, to teach God's word. And when you teach, how many teachers we had in here? Every one of you is a teacher, whether you like it or not. How many parents do we have in here? Your teachers. Because you're teaching from the time they're in the cradle all the way to you get them out of high school and out of college, and hopefully you get them out of your home. Not so today and always. But we need a source for that teaching. One of the problems today is some of our sources for teaching are not the greatest. But we teach what? When you teach, you teach out of a source that's constantly filling that cup. From a cup that's filled from a spring of living water that never runs dry. Think about that. How many of you ever put your mouth down and run off from a spring? Have you ever had anything as refreshing? You know, when I moved into the city, I hated city water because I grew up with spring water. And what does spring water provide for you? Refreshing. Coolness. Filter by God's earth. With all the taste. Now some, how many of you ever tasted sulfur water? One time. I took a shower in it. I won't tell you the story today because we don't have time. We live in a trailer park that they turned on. The city, the, the city water got cut off so the trailer park turned on the, the well and it, it to give us water and it was sulfur water. That was an experience. An old rabbi said that it's better to drink from a spring of running water than 1,000 cisterns. Now, I'm getting to the point here in a minute. When you think about it, a cistern is what? How do they gather water? Off the roof. Off the roof. It runs off. My first experience of that was in East Tennessee. Their gutters ran into cisterns because when drought time comes, they hope to have water. Because the wells didn't always provide. They didn't always have water. Some of the great spring water that comes out of the mountains didn't always occur in every farm around that area in East Tennessee around Greenville. But when you drink from the cup, it's constantly filling. And what is that cup that we're drinking from? That well that never dries. The Spirit of God constantly what? Feeds us, gives us that experience, gives us that information. But the problem in our lives is sometimes it's seasonal for us. Our cup dries up. And we don't know have us anything to drink. And we allow that to happen. 
And you know what? When our cup dries up, what we do? Sometimes we run to the pastor and try to get a new cup of water. What does God want us to do? He wants us to come to him. The spring that always flows, that's always giving. People are not the source. God is the source. That well that never goes dry. That spring is always flowing. People have asked, if you change one thing in your past, what would you change? My answer would be the poor example I was for my children. My cup was often dry. I wish I could have been the example I should have been. Because Ephesians 6, 4 says in part, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And the Bible tells us to teach them diligently, diligently or naturally. It also is the same thing as wet, using a whetstone. How many of you have a whetstone in your kitchen or even know what a whetstone is? When I was a kid, I started to bring mine today. I don't have it. Every one of us carried a pocket knife. And our pride was we always used a whetstone to sharpen it. There are knives. We could put them on our arms and shave the hair off. It was functional. How many of you ladies have ever peeled a tomato? Do you do it with a dull knife or a sharp knife? What happens if you try to do it with a dull knife? A dull knife is dangerous. I have the evidence of a scar. I almost cut the end of my thumb off because it's a dull blade slipped over a ruler. But what's the point here? If you use a stone to sharpen the knife so it cuts well, so it does the job right, and we say we teach our children why, that knife, after it's used, does what? It gets dull again, does it not? So it's a constant job of sharpening it. Now, ever how you sharpen it with the blade or without the blade, this way, that way, or whatever you do, and I have some of them who work in the factories, they take those little old sticks and they go, and their knives are razor sharp. I have never been able to do that. I can do it a little bit. By the old stone, I can take and make it sharp. But it's a constant effort. That is with your children. And your families, it's a constant effort. It never stops. If we keep sharpening them the word of God, what is going to happen? They are going to be able to do the jobs in the future well. They're going to be able to face adversity. They're going to be able to accomplish what life is all about. Because what? They've been constantly sharpened by the word of God. They've been, that whetstone has been used. And that's the picture here that we see diligently, and I call it naturally is another translation. It should come as a part of, just as you sharpen a knife before you maybe have a Thanksgiving dinner. That may be the one time of the year that you sharpen a good knife. 
before you cut a turkey. It should be a natural thing for every day you're working to sharpen your children and your family with the word of God. Teach them the word of God. And they what? Will not go away from it. I didn't do it right. And many of you could probably say, when I look back, I was a failure. But I did the best I could. I would say that sometimes too, but I think I told Bobby last night the one regret I have was my failure and not being the example. Because even when you're not verbally teaching your children, you're teaching them and sweating that blade by what? By your lifestyle, the way you make decisions. If you get up and go to church, if you teach Bible study, if you study the Bible, everything you do is a teaching tool. You are being watched. God commanded it for a reason. So they could be what he called them to be. But we fail. And we fail because we have no parenting. Why do we have young people out there rioting today? Some of it is the school system. But we're parents and we know what the school system teaches. We need to teach different. When you go on in the Old Testament, you find out that the Jews or the Israel nation of Israel is very forgetful. They forgot the word of God. That they were to obey his commandments. You don't talk about adversity. And I'm not going to ask you to go there for this amount of time. Talk about Joshua 7, 1 through 5. Everybody knows the story. The battle of Jericho, everything was won. But then they went on after that. And what happened? They sent a bunch of men up, says we don't have to do a real battle at Ai. Or AI, or which one called AI. I always say AI. We've got it covered. Guess what? They ran. Why? Because sin had come into the camp and God exacted punishment upon them. We know the result of that. They got whipped, they ran. Then they cried to God and God told them what was wrong. And what happened? Achan's family got stoned. Their forgiveness, I mean, forgetfulness brought punishment. The whole family died because of that. But it also brought community involvement in a real way. We want to think about the community stoned in some way. Uh, if I was in some of, on the other side of some of these riots, I probably would, but... Uh, it gets you upset when you look at them. But forgetfulness brings what? Brings down the wrath of God. But the future brought hope. And we see that in Ezekiel. If you want to turn there to Ezekiel, chapter 36, 24 to 27. It says, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. And moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinance. Future. What did God promise? 
I call it radical surgery. What was he going to do? Exactly what he said. By the power of the Holy Spirit, what was he going to do? He's going to come into lives and change what they were all about. Change that hard heart of sin, the hard heart. Bring about what? A lifestyle change, a submissive heart, a submissive way. But he's going to change a priority in their lives. A walk with God, not the way of the world. The grace of God at work. But they forgot and they continue to forget. But what it brought about when they forgot, they got carried away. But this is a promise God gave them when they're in captivity. But there's also a promise for us. And that promise is brought forth in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, things, new things have come. And what, what's passed away? Old speech, old friends. See, one of the things you find that study done many years ago, it said that most of, when a person comes to know the Lord, that most of the friends they had at that time that were not saved disappeared from their life in five years, an active part of their lives, because they didn't relate anymore, and they shouldn't relate anymore. What happens when you walk, while you try to walk with those who are not walking with God? When you try to walk with them and walk alongside them, you can't help but being influenced by them. But the old ways are gone. New speech, new friends. But what's the greatest thing in the world is a new clarity of thought. A new direction. A new way. But you know that's never going to happen in people's lives unless we teach them the Word of God. Unless we bring them to the Word of God. And let God work in their hearts. Let God do the changing. God does the changing. We don't. God does the changing in the heart. Submissive to the will of God. A new power to overcome fear. It's okay to admit you're afraid of COVID-19. It's real. But you shouldn't be terrified about it. Why? We have a great God. We have a great protector. Are to be stupid about it? No. But if we live the life of the Lord and we're obedient to him and trust in him, he will guide our path. He will heal our nation. I cry when I look at our nation today. I cry when I look at the obstacles coming up and the, the roadblocks that are going to come up for our families and our children in the future. We're going to have cities torn apart. We're going to have children that have lost a year of education that's going to affect them the rest of their lives. As many of you know that a teacher, you can have one bad teacher on a subject in school and unless you get that student back into the same class with a different teacher the next year, guess what? That student just lost. Unless we teach our children and our families 
the word of God when they're at home and they get out in the world, they're not equipped for the task. We need to have a new love for others. We need to know God's word. We need to hug people with God's word. Some people are hard to like, but God can still give us a love for them. But it's not on our own power. I can't do it. How many of you get upset watching the news? How many of you can just look at someone's face on the news and before they open their mouths, you're upset? Some of that is good and some of it is bad. And I don't have time to split hairs to tell you the difference totally. I have fun two or three times a week when the news comes on and I watch my wife's face. As you know, my wife is not a person that normally reacts very fast and gets upset quickly. That's me, times. But when she sees a certain person's face, and I won't tell you, I think you can see the body tension starting. And it's not like her to verbalize anger. But she gets angry. Just looking at the person's face before they even spout the stuff out of their mouth. What I'm going to try to tell you today, it is okay to get angry about certain things. We need to be angry about our nation being torn apart. We need to be angry what's taught to our children in schools. We need to be angry with the influence in the world on our children. We need to be angry enough to go to God and start praying because God is the only one that is the answer. And God's word is the answer. We're not the answer, but we can be part of the solution when we get on our knees and pray to God for a change. It's hard to pray for someone if you're angry with them. But that's where you need to start. Have any of you ever prayed a prayer in a line at Walmart? Have you ever seen anybody in an embarrassing situation where they had a whole batch of groceries and they didn't have the money? Or a husband and wife situation without a hand? Spot prayer. What I'm challenging you today is when you get angry at these situations and you see them. Spot prayer. Talk to God right then. Let him take that anger away from you, but start changing that person. Because only God can change some of the situations we're in now. God uses us as tools sometimes, but guess what? God is the answer. When we have a non-functional Congress and we have a non just people that are elected are not even functional 
and the stuff that comes out of their mouths should make us angry. But it should be, make us angry enough to get on our knees and bring God's word, word to bear on, on their lives and the outcomes. God can change our nation, but our nation needs change from the inside out. What was the promise in Ezekiel? I will do what? I'll, I'll just call it radical surgery. Our land needs radical surgery. Our people need radical surgery. We need a change. That change is not going to come about until we love everyone and love that brother that we might hate right now. And it starts with us, and it'll continue beyond us. You have an influence, and that's the power of God, the power of prayer. We need to do it. If you want to see people that overcome adversity in the Old Testament, two of my heroes is Hannah and 1 Samuel and Job in the book of Job. They overcome adversity and they love God. Loving God with all our heart, all our minds will bring you through any adversity because God is the one who will bring you through. I can't bring you through Ken can't bring you through. No one can bring you through except God. God is the answer. The Jews forget, forgot it, and we forget it many times. The word of God is full of answers. If I can find my sheets here. I had I told you to listen to, remember Psalm 78, the last verse? That they shall put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That was good for the Jews. It's good for us. It's an answer to our problems. Our confidence needs to be in God, not the president, not the doctors, not the means, but in God. And I rest my case for God. He's in charge. He has the power. We don't. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for each one here. I pray for their families. I pray for their lives. I pray for their message, Father, that they're going to take forth. I, Father, I just ask you to just hold on to them and give them a, a time, Father, of, of knowing you, of knowing your way. But, Father, give them the strength to get through the day. And hold them close and take away the fear, but give them confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.